0: Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to be here, and I see that Arizona knew an Englishman was going to speak this morning, so we've got some English weather. If you'd like to turn with me, please, for the word of God, because I'm going to speak from some very well-known verses, and you'll know what I'm going to be doing from Isaiah chapter 54. Notice, I said Isaiah. I think that's the way it should be said. <laughs> chapter 54, and I'm just going to read the first three verses. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations, and they will resettle the desolate cities. Well, Isaiah is here speaking to troubled times. Some of the kings of Judah had cried to God for help, just as Hezekiah, who was uh, in one way a good king, as we know, but he'd cried to God, and in one, he'd also uh, been looking to his own methods for deliverance. But God brought deliverance in his way, and only God could save Jerusalem uh, from the hand of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were destroyed, as we know. But Hezekiah, although he was a good king, was anchored still in this world, and he sees uh, everything, perhaps his own prestige, and you remember how towards the end of his reign the Babylonians came, Uh, and he showed them all the treasures and the storehouse and everything else. And he boasts about these things to the Babylonians. And remember the warning and what was going to happen. And Babylon, of course, became the great power and were the ones that conquered the Davidic kingdom in 597 BC. And then Jerusalem in 586. And this is the judgment that came upon the people of God in those days. They had sinned. They departed from following the Lord their God and from his word the people were carried off into exile into Babylon. And in the second half of Isaiah, uh, we see the prophecy of taking place of what will happen in the future, the judgment coming upon Babylon itself, and then of course the great promise of the coming of the servant of the Lord, the Messiah. We see the restoration of God's people and the promise of this. We enter into here in the second part of Isaiah into a world of great need. The people are depressed. The people are downhearted. The people are defeated. But God will will restore Israel and bring His truth to the nation, not by human means, but by the promise of God and the power of God. And of course, what we have here is the great promise of Isaiah chapter 53. The suffering servant. We see this in the second part of Isaiah uh, and the promises concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. All of us have like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. And those great promises, the wonder of speaking of this great chapter that speaks of the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus, who dies for his people. And as a result of the suffering servant, the Christ, there are great blessings on all for whom the servant died. Well, here there are three commands as we come through here. Three commands. We are to be joyous. We are to rejoice. We are to sing. Shout for joy, O barren one. You've borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting. Cry aloud. Rejoice to sing. This is what we're to be doing. The barren woman sings, as it were, here. She shouts joyfully in all of this. Not because she ceased to be barren. but because the Lord has acted in his servant, the Messiah. The effect is that his children become her children. This is a new beginning, a supernatural beginning. This is the gathering of the people of God, the church as a result of the death of the Christ, the suffering servant. This is not the work of man. It's not by what we do, but the mighty hand of God. We should therefore rejoice. Rejoice. We must secondly prepare for expected growth. Prepare for expected growth. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. Here is the picture of the people of God when they lived in tents. Of course, in the days of the patriarchs and in the wilderness, the people, and of course, would know of this uh, in the, uh, the of booths and tabernacles. They knew about tents. And they were to make the tents larger. And the reason is given to them why they must do this. They must prepare for growth. Verse three, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. The picture then here is of the people of God from all the nations drawn together, and there must be preparation for extension and possession. And the third thing we come from this, we must be confident then for the future in verse 4. Verse 4 begins like this, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Fear not. The past from youth to widowhood uh, is ended and gone. This person, the barren one, all the experience in life, the sadness, the pain, will be gone. And the reason for this is to be found in the Lord. The promises to them In verses 4 and 5. Neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced, but you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your husband is your Maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. And this is the rejoicing, this is the future, this is the picture, this is the confidence that we have, not in ourselves, but in our great God and who he is. His person, his name is the Lord of hosts, of all the hosts of heaven, all the greatness of our great God. He's the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, and he's called the God of all the earth. And oh, of course, as we as believers need again and again and again a vision of our great God and what he is doing, we must look unto him. So the whole chapter goes on in chapter 54 to speak of an eternal covenant of peace that the Lord is establishing. Why? Because of what Christ has done, the Messiah, in chapter 53. Now who are these people who have all these blessings that come upon them? And you go over into chapter 55 and you'll see them there. There is the call to the individual, the cry like of a street vendor in verses 1 and 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. The free gift of God, the water of life. And we think of the woman at the well and our Saviour speaking to him, to her of the water of life. We come and we have it abundantly. We're called to listen then and receive. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. According to the faithful mercies shown to David. Called to listen and receive. The call then to repentance. The call, the gospel call. Behold, I have made him a witness goes on in this. In verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God. You see, the command of the gospel, the call to repentance, the promise of forgiveness, abundantly pardoning And God is the one who will accomplish his purposes. Look at this in verse 11. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I've been given 30 minutes. So I have gone very quickly over a portion of scripture which we could have spent all morning on. So great is it and so magnificent and wonderful. This is the word of God. This is the gospel. Christ our Saviour who has come come into this world and has redeemed a people unto himself. The cry to go out and see the vision to strengthen the tent, to lengthen the stakes, to spread it out, to listen to what's going to happen and see what God is doing. The great call we have, the call to people to turn unto him, to repent of their sins and he will abundantly pardon them. These things were not just written for Isaiah's day. They're for all time placed in Holy Scripture and are for us, his people, They are the promises of the Saviour, the Redeemer. And we have the same message. This is the Evangelical prophet preaching here. And the Lord Jesus has come. We look back upon this. We see this. This was the promise. And he has come. He's died. And he's risen again. And he is alive forevermore. And he's seated at the right hand of power. This is our Lord Jesus. God is beginning and has done a new thing and we're in that new thing. But as you know, those verses I read at the beginning, William Carey preached on those verses, Isaiah 54, verses 2 to 3, at a small meeting of the Northampton Particular Baptist Association on May the 30th to the 31st of 1792. There were 17 pastors present and possibly a few messengers. They had travelled by foot and on horseback. There was much talk at those meetings about what had been happening in France. The French Revolution had begun in 1789. And just a month before their meeting, France had declared war on Austria and Prussia. And on the second day of their meeting of that small association, and just a few of them, William Carey stood up at 10 o'clock in the morning and preached. He preached concerning the people of God who were loved. He told them that God would not disown his people forever. She was disciplined. The people of Israel were disciplined. They'd been disciplined but to cleanse her from her sins. And the people of God were to enlarge now their tents. They were to expand and be strong. This was his message. Her maker is her husband, the Lord of all the earth. And Cary saw the people of his day and what the church was like and how weak and small they were. And yet God called them to a different future. And you remember his two great sayings. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. My dear friends, from that small association, as you know, began what is called the modern missionary movement. Just a few of them. How many are we here today in this association meeting? William Carey was the father of modern mission. And he called those men in that particular Baptist association just over 200 years ago to great faith in God. Some of them were weak, some of them doubted. But in the end they acted. Terry had written his inquiry. Here's a copy of it. And that inquiry, as you look through it, you remember what he'd done. He had got facts from every source he could, from books, from news here, news there. And he made his map and put it up on the wall. And he put everything he could know about any country of the world. And this man prayed and he had a vision. He had a desire to see God ruling in every land of this world. That was William Carey. Oh yes. two hundred. He had a vision and a passion to take the gospel to the heathen, and what he did, we know his, his 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 story, all that he went through, the travels. He never went back to England again, but gave himself for that Indian Cup continent. What a man! What a challenge! Here we are, the, the heirs of William Carey, particular Baptist, just as he was. What are we to do? Well, I want to. Give four practical things, really, and just to talk about these some from my own experience. As I've been 38 years as a missionary, the Lord has taught me many things, and I've made many, many mistakes. I think one of the things that we've been learning over the last 10 years, um, and if I could take you, as it were, in a picture. And tomorrow I will be showing some photographs, but not all of this by any means. Just outside a building of our church, it would be just about on the corner of the, of the, of the main street just here. We have a lot of families living in the street, street families. At night time they put a piece of card, carton on the, on the ground and lay on it. One or two have got a few fold up beds, but they're there cooking their meals at the side of the road. We go by and we say hello to a number and we know them. And we've been doing that for a long time. How are we to tell them of the love of Christ? We would go and we would give them tracts at Christmas time. We would give them food and some other things and gifts to help these. And there are children there growing up in the street. And the Lord laid it on our hearts. What can we do? And the thing that's come to me is how can we tell these people of the love of Christ without showing them something of that love? And we were hearing from our dear brother... John last night about the concern for in our churches, loving our brethren. But we are to be zealous also to love others. There's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's there in Scripture. And what does it mean? There is this person in need. And who are going to help them? Is it the government? Do we look to the social welfare? What is it? No, God has called us and placed us in positions and places in our churches, in our towns, in our villages, and all around us, there are people in need. And what it should be is a testimony that we are the people of Christ. We belong to Jesus, and we show the love of Christ to them in their needs. Well, it caused us, and again I want to mention our brother John, John Heaney, because that church sent us a gift. We didn't realise what it would mean because we began a work it is is now called Christian Compassion Ministries. It has opened up to us because we've gone out and showed compassion to people, avenues for the gospel we've never known before. We, we prayed back in the early 90s, Lord, give us opportunities to preach Christ and be evangelistic in our area. What God said to us was a concern for the poor. We began to help the poor. And now we have 12 evangelistic Bible studies in poor areas. The opportunities to, to minister concerning the Lord Jesus to the poor. Okay, I'm a visitor to your country. And I know many of you are struggling in your, in your churches. But I wonder if we're really looking to see where there are opportunities in our town, in our village, of people in need, a shut-in, an old lady who can't dig her garden, somebody who's never painted the house for so many years, would it be good for some, a couple of the men, to go along and just offer to do some decorating outside, and to paint the outside, or to do the garden, cut the lawn, do something? If we can show, and it would, what a testimony would be that church—they help people, they are concerned, they love—and surely that is what it must be. We must love. All we got was our dear brother was just saying, Don, was that tension all the time, and we've had this tension. The tension. Are we going to get caught up into social action and forget the gospel? No, we must always remember we have to tell about Jesus. That we got that tension and we're to live with that tension. That we see that tension in Scripture. We're to be zealous for good works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Not us, but Him. Love your neighbour as yourselves. It's here, is it not? Oh yes. So I'd like to challenge us all that we've got to look carefully again. How can we help our neighbourhood, our community? How can we love the people around us? Those people in their noise and, their, and the way they live. Those wicked people. How can we show them something of the love of Jesus? That's the first thing. The second thing I've got is some, just some practical things concerning foreign missions. We need to be involved and I know many of you are. It's good to see and like maps on the wall and pictures of missionaries and I, I agree. And, and I know many of you are praying for missions in foreign lands and you are supporting. It's good to see and I've known and I've been concerned and prayed for the work of the RBMS over the years. And it's been good to see all of that. But I want to encourage you even further, to be more involved in your churches. Encourage your members. And I would like to say this. I think it's good for each church to concentrate on one or two missionaries. Not to spread yourself so thin that you're praying for 20 missionaries. But to concentrate on one or two. And it it surely must be that the the Abka, not all of you concentrate on this missionary or that, but surely spread all those missionaries around the churches that you have. And concentrate on them. Get your members then to start writing to them. Not expecting replies, but to write to them and encourage them. With maybe weekly letters to say, we're praying for you, we're with you. And encourage the missionaries to write very regularly to the churches, to give them news, at least once a month. Circulate the prayer letters around the congregation. Be involved very much in those missionaries who you support. And I believe you should then send your elder to visit them sometime, that missionary, so that he can see, the pastor can see for himself what, and come back and report this. Now, I was, my sending church, would sent me to the Philippines, back into the Philippines in 1977. There's a little village church in a village of 40 houses. In a place called Suffolk, a country little place. They knew nothing about mission. It was, the church came into existence in 1763, and I'm the first missionary they've ever sent out. But my pastor eventually came out. And when he came out and visited us, it made such a difference. Because the best person who ever did deputation for me was my pastor. He prayed, and I say this even when from the beginning, I have been prayed for in that church every prayer meeting and every service. And I've had a praying church behind me, a church which has been vitally concerned for me. And I felt that. My dear pastor went to be with Christ last year. And I said, who's going to pray for me like he did? You see, you pastors, you pray for that missionary, the one you're supporting. Perhaps it be someone from your church you sent out, but someone, you're right behind them and with them. And oh, what it means. Yeah. Now, when you do begin to pray, at churches like that, there's all the danger that you might lose your pastor, because he might end up going out as a missionary. And it's interesting, in the UK, we've had a number of men who've been pastors, men in their forties, who then have been called to go to foreign fields to preach the gospel. And surely it's the best men that we should send. I'd like to encourage, and we saw it in Don's video, that quite a number of people have been out to visit him. I'd like to try and encourage you that. It may not work in every situation, but I would like to encourage you to send your young people for visits to foreign mission fields not for just a two-week vacation, but to go there and get their hands dirty for two or three months. To help, perhaps it is, uh, to do some work decorating in the church building or doing something with the young people, but they can be, even if it's a foreign language. We have, I've encouraged this because we initially we had some problems, but we've seen it happen, and we're constantly having visitors. Now we are probably able, better than many uh, situations to take visitors, but it has strengthened, particularly our association with the, their church. These young people come back, they get a completely dis- new perspective on life, I believe. One of the things that I, I, I seem to feel about in North America is because you're such a vast country, you tend to be not so knowledgeable of other lands. I almost want to ask, my put my hand up here and say, how many of you have ever visited another nation besides Canada or the United States? And probably not a vast number of you have ever been outside the United States. But you see, for your young people to go, not just a week down to Mexico, but to go and spend several months in a foreign land to get a taste of a different culture and, the, and when they come back and they can share it with you, with you their parents, with their church I believe that will strengthen you too in the work of missions it will give you a different vision and a different knowledge and I will encourage the RBMS uh, to encourage you in this area of getting your young people to go to foreign countries and visit missionaries who are able to take them We need to continue to pray in our prayer meetings. And one of the prayers we're always to pray is pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send forth labourers into his harvest. And that should be a prayer which is constantly on our lips. Not once a year or when we have a missionary come, but it should be a prayer, I believe, in our prayer meetings that the Lord will raise up people The The third thing I've been talking about, basically, what you are to do as a church. I'd like to now talk about something which came up yesterday. Are we seeking to train men in our congregations? And it's come up in this particular this meeting, and I'm very pleased to see it. My dear brother Fred Malone mentioned this earlier, of having a man men come in to his own congregation. Now we're seeking to train men in our congregation. Now I put it like this. Um, sometimes, and I think this has happened, that we wait and we're too holding back. We've got such a vision of men. We, the, the, the view of the ministry is very high and it rightly should be. But not all of our men in our congregation will become pastors. But that doesn't mean to say that there are men in our congregation who cannot teach. And I think we should begin to give opportunities, particularly to our young men, to train them. To give them an opportunity to, to work and help in the Sunday school. It may be to try them in a Sunday school class. And to, and to give little opportunities like this. We have a young man who is now with us from England, a man called Matthew. He's 26, he's now back as a missionary working with us. And One of the things he said about his own church, which is a very good Reformed Baptist church in the United Kingdom, that he didn't find there were the opportunities given to him as a young man to bring him along. And he had a desire in his heart, but there was no real recognition or, you know, drawing him forward in that way. Okay, young men are often immature, they need guidance, they need help, but they need to be encouraged, to become involved give them little opportunities, give them more in your church and with a wise pastor to come alongside to counsel them and help them you may be surprised at what will take place we've seen this in our own congregation over the years now we're blessed and we're, more, we're different I expect in many ways than many of the congregations here we have 32 men and of those 32 men, 18 are able to preach and teach Now, we are different in many ways, and I don't expect that to take place in every church. But we have given opportunities over the years. We've encouraged men. And it was something that just developed, you know, without direction, but it has. And that's why we were able to have 12 Bible studies. We have men, not one man. I don't do it. We have men who are able to do this. Now, some of those men would never be pastors. We have one man, his wife is not even converted. But he takes a Bible study. He actually goes off for seven hours to a trip down to the south and helps in a little emerging Baptist, Reformed Baptist church. He helps there. He would never be in the ministry as a pastor because so he's disqualified. But that doesn't disqualify him to minister as as a member of the church. Oh yes. Are we seeking to train men in our congregation? My 30 minutes is almost up vision vision what would carry had a vision and I think that above all is what we should also have we should pray that God would give us something like William Carey expect great things from God do we and I must admit I feel so weak and so often not believing Attempt great things for God, and that's what William Carey did. We, we can't even really enter into what it meant for Carey, the problems he had with his dear wife, but getting on a boat and going to India with all the oppositions that he faced when he got there. That it was a tenth great things for God. When we look back and we read about William Carey, the father of the modern mission. We look, we think of those early missionaries. We think of. Judson going to Burma and all he faced.
1: Look what they did.
0: Look at their vision, their concern. You think of the missionaries who went to West Africa and you know the expected lifespan of a missionary going to West Africa was two years. We have it so comfortable today. We get on our aeroplanes and we sit back and when we get there it's so easy. But we need to have a vision, a passion To see souls saved, churches planted, churches established. And we know today how how little of the real true gospel is being preached here in in North America and throughout the world. Sadly, all these things which you are not happy with happening around you in churches around you are being exported to every country of the world. And we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to see these things. Oh yes, I know we're concerned the finances and I can understand the financial committee. Let us remember that our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold in every mine. And we are to look and see and what He sees and what He's doing. And He is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against Him. And you at Abka have been given a task You've been given this as an association just as I believe like Carey, that little association in Northampton how small they were but may God bless you and guide you and direct you in the planting of churches here in North America and indeed throughout the world because we need to see the word of God going forth powerfully preached by men who so do not fear man but fear him and love him and long to serve him. To him be the praise and the glory. Amen.
2: RBMS financed the de which is the 1689 London Confession of Faith. And as of June, of June of this year, Brazilians behind it will have their first Reformed Baptist Fellowship of pastors that have come into the Doctrines of Grace. You might pray for that group headed up by Jillson, who's the pastor of the church that we started 19 years ago. And this is one of the confessions, of, the confession of faith of that group. I don't remember how many years ago it was that RBMS financed this book, right here, Romans by John Murray. Anyone was anyone there when this was the money was raised for this? Can anybody remember? I asked to be able to say something because I, I like to keep my word. And sometimes you can't keep your word, but this, this money molded in the, in the bank for a long time, it's not an easy thing to translate and revise a book like this. It's easy to get something that's a popular type, but this is, this is more difficult.
1: <laughs> Proof.
2: Already, there have been several thousand that have gone out. We were able to publish 5,000 because of the gift that RBMS made, or ARP now. So we want to thank you. And we published a magazine for five years. We've been putting out uh, 20,000 copies of this magazine, Faith for Today, the Faith Once Delivered to the Saints. And this particular, I didn't even realize I had this, cover, this copy with me, but there are two names on the back with articles. And one of them is by James Renahan. You've probably heard of him. And the other one is Samuel Waldron. This happened, at, this was in 2000. So you might pray, this is, I was in the, remember the Second World War when the bombarding was, uh, bombs opened the front. Well, this we're using as a bombardment, bombardment to go in. We're sending this to thousands of pastors that don't hold the doctrines of grace. And I just wish I could share with you some of the letters that I get from these men. We now have a, uh, a monthly newsletter that goes out to over 5,000 in Brazil. Pray for us as we reach, we've been five years, this will be our fifth year in Mozambique with a conference, we had 170 there last year, and it's interesting that the majority of them were charismatics, but you should read some of the letters that we get from these charismatics that are beginning to see the doctrines of grace, and thrilled in it. Then in Portugal, this will be our fourth fourth conference, and we pray that the Lord will lead and bless. It is not an easy country. It's a Catholic country, a traditional Catholic country, and to break away from a family, the families are all close, and for somebody to break away, it's very difficult, but we'll have two speakers there this year, both Brazilians, and uh, pray for that conference. This last year, we had 1,200 at our Brazilian conference, and uh, this year, I don't know how many we'll have, because we haven't, through the influence of our literature, the Presbyterians have started a conference that's kind of breaking away from the from the liberal wing of the Presbyterian Church. And now with the, with the Baptist conference setting up, ours, basically you might consider we're, we're a banner of truth that has the 1689 Confession of Faith. So we're, having, we're reaching out. We have a Methodist speaker this year who's a Whitfieldan Methodist. And you might pray that we'll get Methodists to come out. Our goal is to, we're trying to get addresses of, of assemblers of God pastors because that's the largest denomination in Brazil. And why not have these Assemblies of God men? Many of them are true servants of God. They're just off the track a little bit. But I tell you, many of them know Christ, and they are short in their lives. Just covet your prayers, and I won't take any more time. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. It is a great delight to be back with you. I was here three years ago at the last GA. Nice to see the faces and enjoy a new fellowship with you. Let me first thank the elders at Worcester, Massachusetts for their support and involvement in our work in Clonmel. And then let me extend that word of gratitude to those of you who are taking up the book cause, the sending of uh, books to various uh, ministers across the country. Our country is small. You, we, we are next to a little island that's bigger than ours. And sometimes our little island can be ignored. Our country is shaped like that. If you are an man, that hand will be very significant. This illustration is lost on the most of you. This is the northern part of our country, six counties up here, commonly referred to as Ulster, and then you've got 26 counties down here. We're about here in the middle uh, south, in a place called Clonmel in the county of Tipperary. Uh, Barbara is my wife and we have two boys, Timothy and Simon, we've been there for 17 years and uh, We have 14 in membership. On a Sunday morning, we may have 35, 40 people on the Lord's Day. It's similar to many of the reports we got over the last couple of days, I feel, an affinity with some of the smaller works, and uh, I'm mutually encouraged when I hear them talk of their struggles that we ourselves share in ours. A different place, same struggles. Um, There's been an influx of South Africans. South Africa, as you know, is going through a difficult time. There are more white farmers been killed in South Africa than in Zimbabwe. And... uh, the, um, it's, there are numerous South Africans leaving and they're coming and they're filling all over the country there are little clumps of South African believers some of them need a lot of help um, sometimes you like some normal people I don't mean that rudely we're all abnormal we're all uh, flawed we have this treasure in urton vessels we are all cracked pots
1: <laughs>
3: but in some pots you see the cracks a little more
1: <coughs>
3: um, we have a radio ministry uh, in a population of about 26,000 people we have the Roman Catholic one Sunday the Anglican Vicar the next and you have me on a Sunday morning if you've got internet you can get me on tip FM WWW FM at half past eight on a Sunday morning that may not seem much to you but you can get in your car put on your radio and get every sort of uh, Christian uh, ministry in our part of the world it ain't like that and we are a tiny congregation in Clonmel and the fact that we, as uh, the Prince of Egypt in the movie The Prince of Egypt we play with the big boys now the priest, the vicar and I we don't share the same program that has been suggested, it hasn't happened Um, but I have a half an hour every third Sunday to preach unrestrained anything I wish we've gone through Mark's Gospel we have um, written to people We, we have announced if folk want questions answered write them in nobody has written so I thought it best to ask the questions they should be asking and I've answered them for them um, that's the radio work we have we have a children's work not a children's work um, we don't have in our morning service the, we had the practice where the younger primary school kids left and went to Sunday school uh, we stop that now so we give out six questions based on the sermon that the kids have to answer while the sermon has been um, delivered and then if the parents are anywhere anyways uh, willing to discuss it over lunch when they get home I've been pleading with them to do that it hasn't happened yet but we persist in our practice as a, as a consequence we now have a little youth not a youth it's a primary school again on a Friday night and it's twofold we do a Bible study for half an hour and they play games for half an hour One of the reasons why I do this is because we are so few in our part of the world. Ireland is a matriarchal society with a monolithic culture. To be different is very, very difficult. For us, it may not be too hard, but for children coming up through school, into secondary school with all their friends and the peer pressures and the paganism, the pressures are quite intense. If in this means we can maintain a core group of young people who at least have something that, they, that if they come to faith they have others who may be able to help them so we do that on a Friday night and we have seen three unchurched children come along uh, to that that's also been an encouragement um, because we are a matriarchal society as you would know been a Roman Catholic country and Mary given the prominence that she is our men are not men um, and for them to take the role in their homes it's a big big task I think it would be easier to get Paisley to Lord's than to get some of our men to become men in their home. Um, but we do ask them, we do instruct them. We, are, we have a men's meeting once a month, and uh, we're trying to encourage our men to be what they should be at home. Um, it, this year has been a good year, um, and it's also been a bad year. This is the first time. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm almost done. Um, this is the first time in my 17 years that I have seen kids come up through the church and become teens. And when they have come to late teens, they have walked. We've lost the three teens, uh, early 20s, in the last year. And it bodes ill for the future. Uh, we need to see our generation, the second generation, the younger generation, reach with the gospel so that we can pass something on to the next generation. And uh, we would appreciate your prayerful interest uh, for that. Thank you again for your support and for the books. Uh, we deeply appreciate it.